Welcome to His Hands, His Feet podcast. I am happy that you're here with me today. I'm your host, Kenneth Camp. I'm going to spend some time today just talking through a blog post that I had on my website several months ago. Well, it's still on my website, but I wrote it and posted it several months ago, early 2016. And it has gotten a lot of um, uh, views and a lot of people sharing it. And it's um, seven things your foster or adopted child needs to hear from, from you as, as their parent or caretaker. And you know, with the current um, climate of the way that people talk to one another in our country today, and not even in our country, you know, we've lived and have traveled in other places around the world, and it, it's really epidemic across the world. And I think maybe the way that um, reality television and talk shows and social media Maybe that's feeding it, or maybe it's the other way around. I'm not really sure. But it seems that we have lost the ability uh, to tame our tongue. In the blog post, I share a scripture verse, and I I know not everyone that listens or reads, you know, listens to this podcast or reads my blog uh, is a a Christ follower or a Christian, but this still applies to to any of us. And James chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 reads like this, a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire, and among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. The author James goes on and says a lot more about the powerful nature of our tongue. He goes on to say that our tongue can build up or it can destroy. About the time that I wrote this blog and posted it, it was a this was a sensitive thing subject in my own life. I had um, not tamed my own tongue very well. I had said some very hurtful things in the blog. I just said to someone that uh, a loved one, and vulnerably, I'll share here that it was my wife. I had shared some things or said some things to her. Um, that were overly critical and very, very painful. And uh, so this was very sensitive to me at the time that I was writing this. And, um, you know, it's a con- the context is how we talk and what we say to a child that comes into our family from a place of trauma, especially, and specifically foster and adopted children. But, you know, what, what I'm sharing here definitely applies to, to everybody, the way that we talk to one another. So I don't know why our society has lost its ability to talk to each other in ways that that build up or edify, but um, you know it's not a good thing of what's happening. And so I just wanted to read through these seven things that are that are listed in this blog and and just go a little bit more deeper on them. Uh, and again, I'll be talking specifically about uh, children that come to us. Again, whether you are a foster parent or an adoptive parent. Or you're a caretaker. Maybe you're um, someone that provides respite or babysitting for a foster or adopted child. Or you're a teacher or a coach, uh, someone like that. Uh, Then you definitely want also to pay attention to uh, how you say things and what you say. Um, 
to, to any child, but definitely those that come from trauma. And the reason why that's so much important, so important, you know, a child that is um, comes from a place of trauma. If you under, know this already, then then I'm I'm speaking to the choir, right? But trauma puts a child on high alert. In other words, they are um, always inspecting and analyzing their environment to, to make sure that they're safe. And the reason why is because the trauma, uh, research has shown over the last 10, 15 plus years, research has shown that when a child experiences trauma uh, of some sort, that uh, has some kind of developmental risk factor, if they've had any of that in their life, um, then what has been hardwired in their brain is uh, an overly stimulated response to fear. And so what, you know, the amygdala or that part of the brain, that small almond-shaped part of the brain at the base of the skull is fully developed with any child when they're born, but one that has experienced trauma either uh, before their birth or during birth or shortly thereafter um, they're born in their early parts of their life, uh, it just overly develops that part of their brain. And so it's difficult for them where they respond uh, in a more extreme fashion to um, what happens in their world around them. And so that's why it's so important that um, the seven, you know, these seven things are important for a child such as one of these uh, hears from you, and not only hears from you once or twice, but on a regular basis. So the very first one is you are safe. And many times, uh, you know, when we see a child that is you know, it's just bouncing around the room and running around and can't be still. In fact, I was with my son this this actual morning at school. I volunteered for a couple of hours in his classroom. And I don't know if he was afraid or, or what it was, but um, he he just could not be still. And a lot of times we label that as hyperactivity. And with my son this morning, it might have been just excitement. But a lot of times his his um, high activity level is more because he is hypervigilant or he's afraid. And he they just cannot let their guard down. As I was talking about earlier, they are constantly looking around their environment to see if there's anything that could cause danger. So just by telling them they're safe and not just once or twice, it reminds me of a good friend of mine who adopted his son through foster care. His son was a young teenager, maybe 12 or 13, when they adopted him. And now he's a young adult, um, maybe close to 20 or so. And years, you know, just shortly after his adoption, he told his dad that now he could feel safe. That's a powerful thing. For a young man to not be able to feel safe is, um, is sad. So we need to let them know often with our words and our actions that they're safe. And, and again, a child can know something, but they need to hear it over and over and see it expressed and be modeled to them over and over so that they will begin to feel that way. Another one I have on this list is you can act your age. Um, you know, children who have spent uh, some years in foster care or institutional care really have lost their ability to know how to just play. They have had to, again, be more concerned about survival and protection 
and especially if they had younger siblings, they definitely uh, got locked into um, acting much older than they than their you know chronological age. And so, telling a child you know over and over that you know it is okay to be a child, you know even my son, who came to us when he was only eight months old, still struggled with this need, and he still does at the age of six, um, as he is today, this need to fight the bad guys, as he calls it. And I know that's common for young boys especially, but um, he is just now, my son is just now getting to, I think, a phase in life or stage in life to where he is feeling safer, that he's feeling safe in our presence especially, and that he doesn't have to worry about making sure that no one that is dangerous is around. Another word that um, I think is so powerful, and it's it's such a simple word to to say, and that is just yes. You know, as I put it in the blog, I far too often just simply default to no. It's like my my son will ask me something for something, want to do something, and without even thinking, I'll just say no because it's just much easier just to no, you're fine, uh, go play, or no, we can't go do that, or no, you can't have that, but. Sometimes it is not any reason whatsoever that I can't say yes. And the more times I say yes, the more times it it builds into him that he's okay. And so I think, in fact, around our house, you know, I wrote about this in a book that's about the launch about foster and adoptive parenting, um, part of a chapter about having a, a daddy yes day to where um, all throughout the day, as long as there's no reason whatsoever to say no, I tell my son yes. And as you can imagine, those are some of uh, my son's most favorite days. And we have uh, he has uh, mommy yes days as well. A couple of more here, four and five that I have listed on the blog is uh, you matter and I notice you. The interesting thing I've learned about trauma and one of the developmental risk factors is neglect and that is one of the, that is the ex, I've had experts you know tell me that that is the deepest wound and what you know it's like it's hard for me to wrap my brain brain around this but if a child is being abused whether it's physically uh verbally sexually if if um you know they are um just having that kind of trauma happen in their life that that doesn't have near the effect on the child on their psyche as neglect because what neglect tells them is that they don't matter and in fact they may not even exist it's like no one notices who they are and so talking about a deep sense of lack of self-esteem or worth in fact it begins to build into into that child this deep sense of shame there must be something wrong with me. And so when we tell them in different ways that you matter, what you think matters, your opinion matters, your emotions matter, um, even if they are difficult emotions, they matter. I, and also that I notice you. You are seen. I understand. I want to understand. I get you. You're heard. Those are things that are powerful. Of course, we we notice them when they misbehave, but what about when they're just them? 
when they are just there and they are being on their best behavior, do we say things that tell them that they matter and that we notice them? Um, do we ever just give them unsolicited words of praise and delight? And again, not only about their behavior or their action, but just because of who they are, just because of who they are. Number six was one that, that uh, is powerful for a child that comes f- to us from foster care or um, adoption into our families, and that is you belong. I wrote in here, every child needs a sense of belonging. And in my conversations with people who have aged out of the foster care system, one of the most powerful sources of healing for them was knowing that they had a place of belonging. You know, I think of another good friend of mine who is close to my age, in fact, and he grew up in foster care. He never was adopted, and so that was a, and has been a lifelong struggle for him. But through the years, he's had different people just communicate to him that he belongs, that he has a place in people's lives, whether um, the long-term foster family that he was a part of until he graduated from high school, and then you know after he got married, he still feels a sense of belonging to that family because they communicated that to him in different ways. And of course, the you know beautiful family, his wife and his kids that he has now, um, gives him a sense of belonging in addition to close friends that that um, you know just notice him like we were just talking about and let him know that he matters. So even as a as a grown man, that need for a sense of belonging. And, you know, when you think about foster children, sometimes they're only in our home for a few days or a few weeks. And it may seem like that's um, really impossible to give them that sense of belonging, but you still can. There's different ways. You know, and I've seen some foster families, you know, they'll take pictures of every child that comes into their home and they'll keep those pictures in prominent places in their home as a way to communicate you belong. Even though you were here just for a few days, you belong in our in, a, in our midst and in our family. Others I've seen will, will make little pendants, you know, you know the mo- the foster moms, and they'll put it on their bracelet or necklace, uh, and then the pendant will have that child's name on it. Again, giving them a sense of belonging. And so that's a powerful thing that our our children need to know. We don't need to withhold any of these kind of words out of a fear of, um, you know, especially with the, you know, talk, talking, thinking about a foster parent, sometimes we withhold this kind of love and this kind of affirmation and these kind of words because we don't want to feel that sense of loss. And that's one of the most common things that people say to foster families, especially, is that I don't know how you can do that. I don't, I don't think I could. In fact, I know I could never do that. I could never bring a child into my home and give them my heart because I know that they would leave. And I understand that. I understand that emotion. I've, I've felt that emotion. I wasn't sure I could do that. And when our son, who we adopted through foster care, he came to us. He was just a foster-only child at eight months old. And the CPS caseworker even told me that he should only be in our family or in our home for a few weeks at the most. And... Danielle and I had had many conversations about about this exact motion, emotion um, before we decided to go ahead and just do foster only as well because we were motivated to adopt. 
And, and that is something that you need to think through. But when you think through the lens of that child who needs a home, who needs a family where they can have a sense of belonging, even if it is just for a few weeks or a few days, I think we as adults can learn how to give away our heart to a child who needs that sense of belonging, who needs that sense of that they matter. And that might be those days that you give your heart to them, even though it'll hurt quite possibly when they leave, especially if they're in your home for, for months or maybe even years, and then they leave. That may be what, just like my, my uh, friend who's a grown man, people did that, adults did that in his life. And that's what he is able to hang his hat on that, that spoke loudly to him that he belongs and that he matters. So I think that that's, um, <clears throat> to be honest with you, is one of the weakest reasons not um, to foster is that you don't want to uh, experience your own feeling of loss. But that's just my opinion, I guess. And then one last one is uh, you are loved. Of course, every child needs to know that they're loved. And a child from a hard place may pull away from you, you know, from your touch or your hug. And again, that, that can be very challenging and very difficult for, for a uh, foster parent or a caretaker. Or even if you, after you adopt a child, they may do that. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. And that actually, you know, is part of our story. The first year, maybe two or more years in our family, our son would pull away from, especially my wife, from Danielle. And as you can imagine, um, as, a, as a mom wanting to express that kind of love to an adopted son, that I want to hold you. I want to comfort you. I want to love you. And then they pull away. That can be very difficult. But there's other ways that we can express our love. And in our um, experience, in our situation at least, um, our son is very affectionate um, and loves to love on and sometimes even too much, you know, and hug and, and kiss and, and uh, want to sit in our laps, and, and including my wife. And, but, you know, there was a period of time where we had to come up with other ways to express to him that he was loved, and that was with our words and our ac- other actions. So, <clears throat> you know, the whole idea here, even though sometimes these things may be difficult to do, um, the whole objective behind them for a child that comes to us from a hard place, especially through foster care and adoption, is for that child to heal. And so many times we need to Uh, Be intentional. In fact, it's not many times, but we do need to be intentional as parents and caretakers of children uh, that come to us this way to make sure that we tell them that they are safe, that they can act their age. Um, And a lot of times we have to remember on that one that they may be chronologically, say, 12 years old, but because of the trauma in their life, they um, emotionally may only be six, seven, or eight years old. And and we still need to tell them, you know, you can act like you're six, seven, or eight. Um, or maybe they just need to, you know, the point of time and trauma in their life, as I'm going back to this one, is that 
lot of times they get stuck at that emotional age and that can be drastic. And so you may have, you know, a, an elementary age kid who still needs you to hold them and maybe cradle them and rock them. And so that they will uh, feel um, again, that safety in your, in your uh, arm and in your home. So, so you can act your age, um, finding ways to say yes, instead of no, you know, you know, researchers have shown that we ought to give positive response to not only children, but, uh, those that were in relationship like a five to one ratio is a healthy, would be a healthy relationship. So finding ways to say yes, five times more than we say no. Um, and then finding ways to, to communicate to them with our words that you matter. I notice you and you belong and you're loved. All these are, are powerful words. And, you know, like I started off this podcast with, if we would learn how to talk to each other throughout society, you know, I'm just thinking about, you know, it's 2016. We're about a month away at the recording of this podcast of the uh, election here in the U.S. And a lot of uh, maybe some of these politicians need to hear this list. But for sure, we as parents, we can invest in our children this way. Maybe we can raise up a new generation. We can shoot that this generation as an arrow into the into the future to where we have a new generation that knows how to speak to one another in ways that edify instead of tear down. Well, I hope this has been um, a good conversation for you or listening to just my thoughts on this. Uh, you know, again, this is one of my first podcast episodes and most of my episodes will in, engage conversation with someone else. But from time to time, I will do something like this where I'll just kind of expound on a blog post. And so got a couple of things uh, as I wrap up one, um, and this is a little time sensitive, obviously, but I will be launching this new book that I mentioned earlier, uh, foster and adoptive parenting. And the subtitle is authentic stories that will inspire and encourage, uh, parenting with connection. And so if you are a foster or adoptive parent, or you're thinking about being one, or you know one, this would be a good book for people like that are in the in the throes of fostering and adopting, adoptive uh, parenting right now. And many times, a, a, an adoptive or a foster parent can feel alone, discouraged, uh, can be struggling, and it's very common. And so, my hope is, is that this book will lend some encouragement and inspiration to keep parenting in a way that you connect with that child so that you can um, pour into them such, uh, along the ways that we've just been talking about in this podcast and have these words of affirmation for them. The book is launching November 13th, and on my website, uh, and I'll include it in the show notes of this podcast, uh, a link to where you can, uh, if you want to be reminded or find out when you can get a free copy of that ebook. You will be able to grab a free copy for a few days on the day it launches and, and one or two days after that. And so I'll, if you'd like, I'll send you a reminder email. All you have to do is just give me your information and I'll be glad to do that. And that'll be at my website, kennethacamp.com. And then one last thing, especially as I'm beginning this podcast, would you take a, the time and just a moment to go to iTunes the title of this podcast, again, is His Hands, His Feet. 
and do a, a rate and review. Download the or subscribe to the podcast and then do a rate and review, an honest rate and review of the podcast. And with that, I look forward to talking to you again next time.